Hey, I'm Andy White and welcome to Masters of Medic. This is the show where we get to talk to the best of the best in enterprise sales. In this episode, we're talking to Travis Patterson, the Chief Revenue Officer at Imply. Travis is the guy that the folks at Anderson Horowitz have on speed dial when they need someone to lead revenue for one of their companies. He's been a sales leader for over 10 different companies and I really think you're gonna love hearing from him. Hey, Travis. Uh, welcome to Masters of Medic. It is an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. I was uh, blown away when you uh, agreed to talk to me today because like, looking at your resume, your background, your experience in this wonderful world of sales, you know, it's, it's, it, it speaks for itself. So um, thank you, first and foremost, for, for taking the time to talk to me um, and the audience. And um, perhaps let's start off as we always do with you telling us a little bit about yourself and how you came into this wonderful world of enterprise sales. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me, Andy. Really appreciate it. I uh, look forward to spending some time with you this morning. Uh, let's see. So, yeah, like most out of college, uh, just looked at a lot of different things to kind of do. And and uh, I lived in, in Dallas, Texas, um, went to graduate school there and uh, kind of got bored with grad school um, and started looking at different roles, you know, different different opportunities, going on interviews while I was in school and figuring out kind of what 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 fit best. And and I, I came across a company. This is in the in the early '90s called Physician Sales and Service, um, and they were selling medical supplies to to doctors' offices. So uh, I I joined there. Uh, got a territory in East Texas. Moved to Tyler, Texas, of all places, for two years. Um, and uh, and sold uh, you know medical supplies to doctors all across East Texas, which was uh, you know at first East Texas was I, I, not where I wanted to be, but but over time it really you know came to love the people and 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 the opportunity there. Got got an opportunity to to go into management pretty early. Moved to to Phoenix for a year and then moved to the Bay you know in in medical moved to the Bay Area uh, in the mid nineties. As a as a manager, you know, kind of leading a team of of doing that here in Northern California, had never been to the Bay Area, never been to San Francisco, never planned to kind of be in the Bay Area. But it doesn't take long being in the Bay and 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 meeting different people in the sales world to uh, to 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 decide that you know medical is probably not the right place to be. I actually met a guy named Carlos De La Torre, who uh, a lot of the people that will be watching this will know Carlos. Um, he's had a great career and a uh, fantastic sales leader and he was at PTC and he said, Hey, uh, you know, you should come interview with us. And so that was it. That's how I got into enterprise sales through Carlos and, and an interview at PTC in 1995. Ah, the, yeah, the, uh, the ever famous PTC, the, 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 the ground, yeah. you know, ground zero for uh, quality, quality sales leadership talent. You know, I, I think that's, uh, that goes about saying fascinating stuff. And, one of the things that I've come to sort of know from PTC at that time, a lot of the, the people I've spoken to um, who who started their sort of careers in enterprise sale, technology sales at PTC um, didn't. It was just that that they started technology sales there. Was was there a? Do you think that was part of the strategy at PTC to find sort of talent from other sales industries and, and, and bring them in? Yeah, certainly. Like at the time, if you wanted to be in technology sales, there weren't that many options, right? Uh, PTC um, hired, you know, essentially alpha males from from lots of different uh, backgrounds, right? You, you know, a lot of the folks came from selling printers, copiers, 
uh, you know, myself on the medical side, a handful of us came from that background. And you didn't have to have a technology degree. You know, at the time, I think uh, most, most folks that sold technology had a tech background, a computer science or electrical engineering type background. And then they kind of went into the sales world. Uh, PTC was one of the first to say, look, we, we're going to go hire young, aggressive, smart salespeople. We'll train them how to sell technology. We'll, we'll invest in their development on the technology sales side. Uh, but we want, you know, we want aggressive salespeople. And so the place was just packed with uh, hyper aggressive, you know, alpha types that uh, um, obviously, you know, went on to do some really cool stuff. Yeah, that is fascinating. Do you think that um, that a, a similar strategy like that with those types of characters would, would work in today's world? Of course, it works in today's world. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We did the same thing, right? Now we, we, we hire uh, SDRs, for example, right out, of, right out of college. And, you know, we look for a lot of the same attributes that, that were successful, you know, in, 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 a, in a seller in the mid 90s at PTC. Those same attributes are the same attributes that we want today, right? We're not hiring computer science majors, uh, even though we sell a fairly technical product. We're hiring uh, young, smart, aggressive uh, folks that want to that want to pursue a career in sales. Maybe they maybe they waited tables. Maybe they sold door to door. I just uh, I just talked to a candidate, an SDR candidate who's graduating in December, and uh, he spent the last two summers. He's he's got a statistics degree, but he spent the last two summers selling um, pest control right in suburban Las Vegas, knocking on doors. Uh, 12 hours a day. And, and he found that he loves it. You know, he, he, he would love to do that and, and, and pursue a sales uh, degree than, than go and be a statistician or a data, or a data scientist. So, um, you know, th- those things that worked in the mid 90s work today. And I think if you look at a lot of the, the successful sales organizations, that's uh, that's what's happening. Fascinating. And, and so taking that example of the SDR candidate, how did you how did you find that candidate? Where are you? How are you how are you finding these candidates that find you um, with that kind of experience? Uh, that's yeah. So there are recruiters that, that that specialize in that, right? So there's uh, you know, if you're here in the Bay Area, you probably know Bet's recruiting, right? They are the de facto sort of primary focus for for recruiting uh, SDR candidates, young folks right out of college. Uh, in, in this particular case, it came from a referral, right? Actually a referral from, from Mark Cranny. So um, small world here, but Mark introduced me to this candidate. He didn't have a space for him on his team and said, Hey, you might want to take a look at this guy. I think he'd be a good fit. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a pretty, pretty good endorsement to get from, from Mark. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's funny because I, that, that was actually a little bit like my, my entry into the world of sales. I was, going door to door commission only sales job was my first ever sales job and when i kind of wanted to get into b2b sales i I was kind of met with this classic catch-22 of like you know we we like your background we like your approach but can you come back when you've got some b2b experience which is obviously a a catch-22 in itself so but what, what i've always thought and 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 said since is there were things that i learned out on in that job, you know, um, that I I have never seen the opportunity to learn in B two B sales itself, but that actually you know have, have driven me to to find success um, in B two B sales. That, you know, it's just funny things like you know if you are knocking on doors and it's you know it's it's eight o'clock in the evening and you there's one house that's just the you know separated from the others. 
you're going to have a conversation with yourself that like, my car's back that way. I could go home. It's cold. It's wet and whatever. And one thing you learn is that that, that if you make that call, that positive call to go and knock on that door, you are 100%. In, in my case, I was making appointments, making an appointment for myself to go back. And, you know, I may not, I may not get the deal, but you'd always get that person's name and a time in your, your diary to go and see them. And I think, you know, if you, if you take the, 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 the mental approach that comes with that, the sort of mind over matter, the, the positive, you know, positive affirmations of it, that, you know, things like that you, you don't get to do in, in B2B sales so much. Um, yeah, certainly. I mean, we, we, I love seeing candidates with that kind of a background, right? Knocking on doors, selling knives, selling encyclopedias, or I guess that's older, but, you know, selling pest control in this case, right? Um, uh, you know, there's uh, LDS kids that went on two-year uh, uh, missions to South America to to convert folks to 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 that that uh, religion. You know, that's that's hard. Mm. That's hard. You, you know, it's really tough. And so once you do that and you understand the the work ethic that that's involved, the ability to communicate that's necessary, the ability to have empathy, to listen. Uh, you know, to, to the value of cold calling, like you said, right? Knocking on that last door when it's easy to go home. Uh, those are the, those are the uh, early lessons that you can learn in your career that become really valuable to you as you embark on an enterprise sales role, for sure. And we love finding candidates that have that kind of a background. Yeah, and I, I think there's one other positive um, thing that that experience gives you is that you, in my role especially, I guess it's the same as saying pest control, you are getting... Um, uh, several, like multiples of a, a, a B2C sales cycles in a very short space of time. I would do, you know, three, four sales cycles a day. You know, I'd go, I'd book the meeting and I'd go and try and, you know, do the demo, the pitch, the value proposition and close it. You, you know, in the enterprise sales, you, you know, you, you do, you know, I don't know what the average is, but maybe, you know, one a month, one, one deal a month type thing. Um, and so, yeah, it's getting that not so much relevant to B2B experience about how organizations buy, but understanding, you know, emotional reactions and, and, you know, how you can provoke response. Yeah, I, I would, I, look, I would also say that um, the things that made you successful, right? Uh, what were you selling when you were knocking on doors? I was, this is going to, to the people in uh, listening in the UK to this, it'll sound very cliche. It was double glazing. So it was like windows <laughs> and doors, right? I saw that Netflix, there was a Netflix on that where the guys were knocking on doors in the UK selling double glazing. I forget the name of it. White gold, white gold. White gold, yeah, that's a great one. In the 80s, right? Just um, cliche like that. So yeah, yeah. So so whether it's selling double glazed windows or uh, you know tongue depressors in East Texas or um, you know pest services or you know you hear these guys that sold. I never sold copiers, but running around uh, big buildings, getting chased by security, right? Trying to make the copier sales. You, you learn some things that are. Uh, absolutely transferable into enterprise sales, right? Which is, you know, it's it's still a math game, right? You still have to go make the cold calls. If you show the product, you will sell the product. So demoing, you know, if all else fails, like get the product in front of the customer, you learn to listen and, and do objection handling on the fly. So you get very good at, at understanding objections um, and and re the repetition of doing that as a B2C, you know, when you're doing that, selling the, that thing in your early career, 
those skill sets are absolutely transferable. It still is the thing that'll make you successful uh, in selling, you know, whatever type of software that you're selling. Yeah. So going back to, to PTC, where you've come in doing medical sales and you've obviously gone into PTC, which is, you know, much famed as a, a great place to learn, you know, probably one of the best. Um, how different did you find going from medical sales to technology sales? Uh, a lot, right? You went from, uh, you know, being in your car all day, which is what we were doing, you know, and going literally like driving into someone's and knocking on their door, going in and making a sales call to uh, to being in an office uh, on the phone, uh, you know, back in the, you know, I'll kind of date myself here, but, you know, at the time, uh, in order to find leads, you'd get the San Jose Mercury News and like kind of go through the help wanted ads and figure out who was who, you know, what company in your patch was hiring mechanical engineers. And then you'd, you'd start banging the phones and trying to get meetings. Uh, this is all even pre-email. Uh, and then email came along and that, that became obviously a way to, uh, to do outreach. But um, it, was a, it was a pretty big transition as far as like how you spent your day. Uh, but, but certainly this, again, the same skill sets, right? The cold calls, the, the, you know, getting demos, showing the product. It was a very visual technology in the, you know, in the early nineties anyway, or the mid nineties PTC was. So it was all about getting the product in front of the customer. You know, we had a better product. So we drive everybody to a, a proof of concept, a validation event, um, and then try to close. And that was the sales process. Uh, that same sales process, uh, with variations on it is still essentially what we use today, right? Uh, that, that sales process has, has been uh, tried and true and, and, and it works today if you execute it correctly. That, and, and that in itself is, is always fascinating to me when, when I speak to sales leaders like yourself who say that, you know, regardless of, of what I'm selling or the industry I'm selling to or the technology I'm selling, the playbook remains very, very similar. Do, do you find and that's what you're saying, you know, your, your playbook stays the same? <laughs> um, in broad strokes, yeah, absolutely, right. So the the big the big blocks of of that have stayed the same, right. What has changed is the tech stack has changed quite a bit. Uh, the the approach to uh, to to SaaS obviously has changed things quite a bit. How do you get leads? Um, how do we how do we um, work the market itself? But but certainly you know showing the product still matters, right. Doing the cold calls still matters. Uh, driving the customer to a validation event, uh, qualifying that validation event effectively, you know, getting to the economic buyer and making sure that you've got that thing qualified. All of those key pieces are absolutely transferable from, you know, the mid nineties to today for sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, It's, it's fascinating to me that that, that has been the case. Do you think it's because, um, the, the way fundamentally that organizations are buying, like you say, there's differences in the business models with you know, old perpetual licenses to SaaS and those types of things. But fundamentally, the, the, the way that organizations make decisions has stayed similar. Well, it's, it's certainly gone from a top-down decision-making to a very sort of democratized, bottoms-up decision-making in, in, in certain industries, right? I mean, I, you, know, I, you know, Okta and, and some of these other tools may be more of a CIO approach for us and, and mostly what I've been selling, whether it's DevOps tools or data tools. A lot of the decision-making um, has been pushed down, and, and that's been the case on the West Coast for a long time, right? Tech companies have tried to push technical decision-making as far down the, uh, the org chart as they can. 
so you still have to win hearts and minds, right? That hasn't changed. Uh, you've got to go in and show the product. You got to go win hearts and minds from the technical decision maker. You need to understand, you know, thinking of the value pyramid, you have to understand the key players in middle management and what they care about, and you have to sell at that level. And then you have to have an executive sales strategy. Uh, so being able to sell at all three levels, whether it's the user level, the VP director level, or the C level, and understanding your value pyramid for each of those levels is, is really important. Um, uh, how you validate and how you go through a sales process is similar. But being able to sell at all three levels, that that obviously aligns with your technology and how you assign your technology or your critical capabilities and your technology into that value pyramid is uh, it, it changes with the product, but but is consistent across products, right? Um, the company that did that probably the best of all is AppDynamics, right? They sold APM solutions. I ne I never worked there, but I've hired a bunch of folks that 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 have worked there. They were absolutely pros. At, at delivering that value pyramid message and aligning their critical capabilities with customer outcomes in that, in that value pyramid. Um, so those are, those are some of the techniques that, that we've adopted that we use quite a bit that maybe have evolved quite a bit from the, the old PTC days, but, but um, are really valuable in today's selling environment and how customers buy. Right. And where, where do you, where do you, you mentioned it changed a little bit from the PTC days and obviously you've had a, a wonderful career, which we can come back into in a moment, but was, do you, do you, do you, was there a, another moment in your career where just like in PTC, you, you I'm sure you learned so much. Um, was there another role you had where you kind of would say that there was like a similar sort of shift in, in, in learning and approach that you, you took on? I don't know if there's been anything that's been sort of, earth shaking from a change perspective. Um, you know, I, I just, you know, I think about the leaders that I've worked for and the things that you can learn, you know, and you try to pick up along the way, right? Whether it's a, a CEO that you're able to kind of watch and understand how they operate or a, a sales leader that you, you watch and understand how they kind of engage with the customer, the process that they teach. And really, you're, you're trying to, through the course of your career, you're trying to over-index for learning, right? I want to learn. I want to be in a situation where, you know, you're not the smartest person in the room, right? You're, you're going into a meeting and you're learning from your peers, from your leaders in the organization. You try to pick up key pieces from that uh, in your career and, and turn, it in, turn it into what, what works for you. Um, so I don't you know, like there's not a single thing that, that that has changed necessarily or was kind of as, as as sort of transformative as going from medical sales into PTC. Um, you know, certainly I always think about going from a small company to a big company. I've, I've, I've been through a couple of acquisition that can be pretty, pretty uh, traumatic and, and, and uh, will rock you a little bit or going from a large company into a small company can do that to you. But uh, mostly it's just about trying to pick up best practices from everywhere, right? From, from sales reps. You know, I, I, I've, I've seen sales reps that do champion building better than I could ever do it. Like, like that was awesome. Like you guys did a great job of building a champion. I, we were just doing a win report with a, with a, uh, on a deal that we closed. And the SE was talking about how, how he built SE champions or technical champions in that customer. And uh, some of the work that these guys do is phenomenal. And so as a, as a leader, you're just trying to pick up what, what can I learn from each of these? And then how can I bring that into my toolkit and try to reuse it? 
Oh, I love that. I love that. You talk, you talk a little bit about champions there. Um, I have to ask the question I ask everyone else. What's for you, you know, obviously champion is an element of, of, of medic or med pick. Um, which, is, which is the element of, of medic that you think is the most important, um, the most imperative to, to, to selling? Well, I mean, there's only one answer to that, right? <laughs> which is the champion, right? Having a champion, building a champion, developing a champion. Uh, you kind of have to, you know, do you find them or build them? It's a little of both, right? You have to find somebody that's capable of being your champion and then you've got to build them. And when I say like, I, I've actually seen salespeople do a really good job of this um, is their ability to not only find, but then really develop a champion, right? Have that, you know, champion conversation, right? Pull them aside and understand what are they doing from a career perspective? What matters to them with their family? What are they trying to accomplish? And then asking very you know, direct questions. Hey, this is what I expect from you as my champion, right? You're going to go into this meeting. I'm not going to get invited to that meeting. When you go into that meeting, can we role play this? Let's talk about the questions that you're going to get asked. Are you capable and, and willing to step up and act as a champion in that meeting? And so the really the, the best sales reps uh, are not afraid to have that conversation and be really direct with, with their champion or the person that they're hoping is their champion and asking tough questions to make sure they're they're ready to go when that when that meeting happens because there's always we always think there's always that one meeting right where you don't get invited as a seller your SE is not in the room but the customer is sitting down and they're trying to make a decision on which way to go and you've got to have that champion who's willing to stand up in that meeting and pound the table for you and so you want to you want to get in front of that right and you want to you want to pull that person aside and say hey you're going to go into this meeting you're going to get these questions. Are you ready for them? Can we role play those questions? Are you are you willing to kind of stand up and fight for us? And uh, the best sellers are, are really good at doing that. Yeah, I, I could not agree more with that, actually. And I, I, I don't know what it is, but I, I do find that some sellers have a almost like an apprehension to, to have that approach. And I almost put it down to this sort of feeling that that the, the salesperson almost there, there seems to be I think in maybe the last sort of decade or so in sales almost like this this activity to try and hide the fact that you're a salesperson you know you see it in LinkedIn titles you see it in these different things where it's you know I'm a I'm a value consultant or something like that and it, I think it leads to these situations where you know you actually uh, as a salesperson are causing yourself a load of problems because. You, if you, if you, it's not like you're going to be a Trojan horse, you know, sneaking in front of the pretense that you're going to give value. Right, right. I want, I want the customer to know that I'm there to ask for their business because, sure. you know, it's, it's what better way of qualifying my time than that? Um, yeah. So, it, but I love to hear the stories of you. you know, you mentioning about the the best sellers there that, that make it very, very clear um, of the champion's role. And actually, with you know, for me, I think with actually medic or medpick itself, I always think about it like this: if you sat down with with your champion and you said, "By the way, I use this thing called medic, and let me tell you what it is," and you took them through a medic review with them, sure, love it. They would be like, "Okay, sure. I can see you're, you're you're approaching this exactly the right way." And yeah. uh, I'd love us to, you know, as, as an industry, I'd love us to lean more into that, not necessarily telling the customer about medic, but being more, more, you know, bold about what we're here to do. 
Yeah, certainly. Like a, a couple of thoughts on that, right? One of the things that we talk a lot about is the custom value prop for the customer, and and, and that includes a lot of medic in it, right? What are the what are the initiatives that you're driving? What are the strategic objectives for the company? What are the initiatives, and how do our capabilities support those initiatives that are going to make you successful? So we try to build custom value props when we're when we're going in and doing a POC wrap up, for example, or we're having that 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 conversation with the customer. We 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 work a lot on on that messaging and it has a lot of medic in it, right? Um, To understand, you know, the customer's pain, right? The eye and medic or the decision process and and decision criteria, certainly. Um, As it relates to like a salesperson being a little bit reticent to uh, be upfront about what their goals are, what their objectives are with the customer and and to have that, that really transparent conversation um, you certainly see that and you'll see that with younger sellers who may be a little timid or are reluctant to, to, to be as direct. Right. And so one of the things that you sent me on on email was like, why, you know, Andy Sadler, like why, why would you tap him on the shoulder? So part of our job, right, as leaders is to go hire guys like Andy, who in Europe, right, if the seller is timid, reluctant for whatever reason, like they've gotten the deal to a certain point, but they're not really willing to have that conversation yet. You know, that's what Andy's there for, right? That's what I'm there for. And so we tell we tell these guys, look, listen, um, bring your manager. This is a team sport, right? And um, I don't expect the sales, uh, the seller to be perfect, right? But I do expect the seller to bring their manager in. And collectively, if if the seller is missing that thing, that's what Andy's there for, right? That's what I'm there for. That's what the other leaders are there for. And so you want to hire leaders who can see these blind spots that the sell, the sales rep may have and, and be able to cover those blind spots for them. Yeah, I love that. I love that a lot. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And talking about Andy there brings me back to something you were saying a, a moment ago about how, you know, you in your career, you've tried to sort of never be the smartest guy in the room and sort of follow, you know, follow the good people around. And I think like, you know, <coughs> when I look at your your resume, it's it's almost like, you know, it's it, you can sort of see you can see the success you've had, and you know that as as a sort of team, and you can see see that how that's how that's moved around. Especially, I think it looks like um, mentioned to you earlier that Anderson Harowitz seems to have uh, really appreciated the work you you did for those guys at Opswear. I'd imagine is, is that would that be fair to say? I, yeah, so I'll just talk a little bit about the the, the Andreessen Horowitz folks. Um, but just for clarity, I, what I what I meant to say, if I wasn't clear, is you, you don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. That's uh, that's exactly the wrong place. To be. Did I say you want to you walk in a room and you're the smartest one there? You're probably in a in a in a situation where you're not growing, not developing. You want to you want to surround yourself by folks that you know when they when they talk, when they articulate what they're trying to accomplish. Uh, you're like, wow, I, I'm I'm learning in this situation. Uh, so yeah, you don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. You, you did, say uh, and 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 Dreesen Horowitz, you're, you know, you're you're gonna be hard pressed to be the smartest guy in the room uh, in those meetings for sure, right? There, you're just, uh, you know, they've they've done a great job of collecting uh, talent that's uh, extremely high level. So, um, but I I can certainly talk about that, right? Like, like. Um, I'll just I'll just say without without any question, right? Ben Horowitz and uh, and Mark Cranny have been better to me in my career 
than, than I've deserved, right? They've done a, a, an unbelievable job of helping me, you know, get the next role, make sure that I'm put in the right, you know, position, um, been supportive of me from a reference perspective, from a career perspective, probably way more than I've deserved. Um, so they've done a great job and a huge shout out to both those guys. Um, yeah, and then Martin Casado, uh, who sits on our board, uh, you know, there's a there's a phenomenal team over there that I've enjoyed working with and for. Right, right. I think I think it, many people listening to this, maybe like me, that know Opsware from the the book that kind of I think made it semi famous. The hard thing about hard things. Have you have you read that book? I've got it in the bookcase <laughs> right back here, of course. Is it, I was in a few of those scenes. I didn't get any any ink. Mark got all the ink, but uh, yeah, there was a few. Where I was like, okay, I remember. I remember that conversation, which is kind of cool. Yeah, that that would be very cool. But I also sort of imagine it if you know a lot of you know that the theme of the book in itself is you know hard thing about hard things is they weren't easy times. You guys, you guys were up against it, and 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 somehow you know which which is makes it I think the fascinating read it is came out on top. Yeah, I don't like um, maybe there are situations where it's easy, right, where the thing's just running and 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 the purchase orders are coming in and and it's easy. But I, I almost never feel that way. Like when you're in it and you're working on a on an opportunity. So you're you're at Upsware or Blade Logic or PT, even PTC um, or um, Signal FX, which is the latest opportunity that we, we had a good outcome on. Um, you know, when you're in it and you're working day to day uh, and quarter to quarter, it, it's never easy. It always feels hard. It always feels like you're one quarter, one month, you know, one deal away from blowing the whole thing up. Right. And so it it, uh, it only feels like it was a, a, a fun experience after it's over and you get to read the book. Right? But when you're in it, it's a lot of work and, and a lot of stress and a lot of focus. And, uh, you know, then when you look back on it, you go, okay, that was, that was actually fun and interesting and, and, and I really enjoyed it. But when you're doing it, it just ends up being uh, a ton of work. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. I hear that. I, I feel that. I feel that very much. So, um, you, um, you, you, after PTC, you went to blade logic, right? And then that was, you know, was that, a you know, I think a, a, a few people, to say the least, went from PTC to Blade Logic. There seemed to be a, a pull of talent following. Was it John McMahon that that you you followed there? Or no, actually, um, I went there in 03. Like I was really early at Blade Logic. I think I was the second guy. There's a gentleman named uh, Mike Nakamura who's an SE uh, leader over at uh, Splunk now. Uh, great guy. And he was an SE and they didn't have a, they didn't have anyone on the, on the West coast on, in a sales function. It's a great story. Right. And, and so, um, I got a phone call and I talked to the blade folks and they were in Boston and I was out here on the West coast and they said, look, we have, a, we actually have a sales call that's going to happen in San Francisco. And we got an SE going to the call, but we don't have a say, you know, we don't have anyone on the sales side of rep or manager or anything. Can you go to the call? You get a sense of the product, you'll get a sense of the customer. Um, and that'll be your interview or, you know, at least one of your interviews. Right. So I said, sure, I, I'll, I'll go on the sales call. I was, you know, looking at different opportunities and I went and, and Mike did a demo and uh, the customer it just absolutely came unglued, right? They stood up in their chair, they went and got their management, the room filled up 
Uh, they kept saying, show it again, show it again. And uh, so, you know, look, I didn't know the first thing about systems management or uh, selling systems management. I, I honestly didn't even know what I was looking at, but the, I could I could read the customer room and they were excited. And so I got excited when I saw the customer get excited. And I said, yeah, this let, let, let's make this work. Right. So I that's how I ended up at Blade Logic. Um, I was there for a couple of years. I actually left there to go to Opsware before John started, right? Uh-huh. So John came in, I think, three or six months after I had already left. So I never really got to overlap with John, unfortunately. Um, he came in as the leader sort of post my my departure. That That is a brilliant story. I love that. If, 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 if I was you in that situation, because I have the world's worst poker face, when I was sort of going back to the, the 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 person that had asked you to step in into that role as, as a sort of you know interview type process, I would have found it very very hard to kind of play it cool, you know. After I wasn't cool at all. I, I you know I sat there with Mike and I said, look, I'm a candidate for the sales role here. Um, I'm more here as a spectator than anything else. Mike did all the work. He did the demo. Um, I didn't even pitch. I don't think. I just m- mostly was there to watch and saw the customer reaction and said, look, um, this, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have to know systems management to know this thing's hot. And, uh, and it was, it, it obviously, they, those guys had a great outcome. I'm, I'm a huge fan of what they accomplished. Um, and uh, yeah, it was good. It was good to, to be there. And then it was really good to compete with them. Uh, so I kind of got a chance to see both sides. I knew, I knew both, both products pretty well. Um, so it was a, it was a fun time. Cool. And and so was was Mark uh, was your first time working with Mark Cranny at Opsware, or had you guys worked? At- I knew him at PTC, okay. so I, I knew him at, at, at PTC. Um, he, I worked for him at PTC. I ran a, a, a I ran a region. He ran major accounts, and I ran a, a high tech region for Mark. Uh, we had had some success, uh, not as much as we'd wanted to have at PTC, but we had some success. This was in the later days, the O two O three days of PTC. It was kind of a transition from selling uh, mechanical CAD to selling windshield. So um, uh, Mark Mark ran, I think, all of uh, the major accounts at, uh, which was kind of the global 2000 at, at PTC. And I ran a region for him. So I knew Mark. And uh, yeah, he, you know, he, he uh, there's, there's some story behind this, but he ultimately said, look, you know, I, I have an opportunity for you to come run the West, I had wanted to manage, uh, you know, get back into management from my PTC days, uh, wasn't really kind of getting that opportunity at, uh, at Blade. Uh, this is again, pre, pre John uh, showing up. So that's why I uh, kind of switched jerseys, went over to Opsware, got to run the West for him. And we, we had success pretty quickly. Uh, it was a couple of quarters in and the thing started to click and, and, and you know, Mark's a fantastic leader, uh, he he had already been there for I think nine months. He had been there for a little while uh, as the as the sales leader. So he started to kind of get things put together, um, get the go to market and the sales process put together and the teams put together. So by the time I got over to Opsware, he had done a lot of the foundational work. I, I just kind of came in, plugged into the West, and and started cranking. Oh, okay, and and and. From Blade Logic, then was I'm, I'm looking at your resume. Was the next time you worked with um, Mark at? I'm not sure if I'm saying this right. By the way, is it Mesosphere? Is that who you'd say? Mesosphere. No, 
I didn't work. Mark was uh, Mark went after Opsware. Um, I think he did one small thing, and then he ended up uh, on the venture side. So he built their um, their commercial go to market team on the venture side. He he, you know, you, you should get him on your on your call. But he pretty much revolutionized how uh, venture uh, presents uh, you know tech to 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 companies, and he he built that entire commercial team. Uh, at Andreessen. Um, I didn't work at Andreessen, but I, I stayed in touch with Mark, of course. And and so uh, both Cypher Cloud and Mesosphere were Andreessen Horowitz funded companies. And uh, I got introduced to both of them through uh, through Mark and Ben and, and, and the crew. Uh, again, like I said, you know, they've been great to me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, you're, you're being, um, I think very modest, I would say, because, you know, someone, someone like Mark with his network, he's not, he's, <laughs> he's not tapping you on the shoulder just because, you know, I'm sure he does like you a lot, but I'm sure, you know, it, it's got to be the, uh, results driven guy like that. So, you know, I think you're being very modest there, but that, that's I, I, one of my favorite things about this industry is, is when you see these teams of people that, you know, work together time and time again. And, you know, it, it just for me, you know, if you ever see that, it's always a good thing. It, for whatever reason, bad people don't tend to tend to stick together. Only good people, from my experience. <laughs> um, That's a good way to think of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I just love to see it. I, I you know, certainly, um, I'm sure I, I'm not alone. But if I'm, you know, if I'm ever considering an opportunity, I, I, I want to see within the organization, especially within the leadership team, you know, that that example of where you know, someone's gone first and someone else has followed them along or they've gone together, uh, as is often the case, is almost like a package. I, I love to see that. And I guess, you know, you know, no better example of that um, is, is with you going, you know, from, from your work for SignalFX to, to where you are now at, at Imply. And you mentioned Andy, Andy Sadler earlier, who, you know, I guess was, was running um, EMEA in, at um, SignalFX and is, is now doing the same at, at Imply. Was there... Um, was there any doubt in your mind about, you know, when 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 you were looking to expand the EMEA team that, that Andy would be your guy? No, Andy and I started talking before I even started, right? I mean, I think he came on board. We were we were having dialogue about me joining Signal and 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 have him come in and run EMEA uh, even before I started. I think he started a couple of weeks after. Like we had an offer letter ready for Andy the day I started. We were um you know, he, he was a no-brainer for us and uh, and still is. He does a great job. Yeah, like I think it's, you know, you see it in the, in, in American football, right? We talk about the coaching tree, right? I'm sure it's uh, there's coaching trees in, uh, in Europe as well um, for um, Premier League, you know, soccer, right? I'm sure there's coaching trees where... You know, in, in the U.S., you've got your your Parcells, your your Walshes of the world, and you, you look at all of their um, their assistant coaches, whether they're offensive coordinators or defensive coordinators, who have gone on to do great things. And so we think about that a lot as well here, right? Which is, you know, your coaching tree, right? Part of the pride of of uh, getting to a certain point in your career is that you've worked with a lot of really good people, and you've been able to kind of help people. Um, Further their career as well, um, so you 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 want to have you want to be able to look back. I mean, McMahon has a great coaching tree. Cranny's got a great coaching tree. Uh, uh, there's some fantastic trees out there. Uh, I was watching an interview with uh, um, I forget his name. He runs Snowflake, but uh, and he talked about the fact that when he came over to Snowflake, he brought I think 12 people with him, right? And he calls it his team. Right? I brought my team with me. 
and it's not just sales team, but in his world, it's finance and, and, and others. But um, yeah, that's that's always pretty cool when you've got some folks that have worked with you and, and, and they're willing to come work with you again. Right. That's always good. Yeah. But, you know, the other side to that is, you know, you you aren't always going to have the timing right on your side, your team, the people you've worked with before. So then, you know, you have to go to the market and you have to recruit. And and one thing I I, I, I knew from talking to Andy, you know, at Signal FX that you guys, it was like nothing I'd ever seen before at Signal FX, the approach you guys, I'm sure it might be your model, actually, I don't know, but the, 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 the thoroughness and the approach that I saw you were taking to, to hiring was was world class, I have to say, and and you know I know that's something that that you you know you put as as very high on your priorities list is is hiring talent. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your maybe your mantra or the way you you like to think about it. Well, as, as a as a CRO or any sales leader, you've got to make it a priority, right? And you learned that early in management at PTC, right? You you had to hire, you you just had to. There was no other choice, and so you've kind of stuck with me through through this and then i've you know i watched uh mark do it um so i've seen others how they run recruiting uh, recruiting is a verb you have to go do it you know it's not just hiring i hiring is easy recruiting is what you have to go do and so recruiting is it, it has to be a priority you have to spend the right amount of time on it you've got to focus on it we we talk a lot about recruiting my staff call is probably half on recruiting, right? We go through and we look at how many open heads do you have? Who's in process? Where are they in the process? We look at them on, on their LinkedIn profile. We dissect their, you know, where they went to, to uni and, and, uh, and what roles they've had. And we talk a lot about recruiting um, and, and, and it takes two, right? Meaning, meaning we can go recruit all we want, but the, the good, the, the really great salespeople that we want to hire have to come want to work with us, right? And so we've got to be able to pitch the opportunity. You got to pitch the comp plan. You got to pitch the space. Um, you got to pitch the opportunity to learn, you know, and that, that's one of the things we talk about Andy a lot, you know, but that's one of the things that, that I think a lot of my, my leaders uh, that, that work for me now, um, and certainly the ones that I've worked with in the past are really good at. They, they spend a lot of time on this uh, and they're very good at, at, at recruiting as a verb, right? At, at bringing people and getting people who want to work for them. Um, and, and timing doesn't always work out. Like if you look at the sales team that we have, I mean, there's a handful of folks that I've worked with in the past. But to your point, um, most of the people on the team uh, I've never worked with. Right. But there may be one level removed from someone else that we've worked with. But you still got to go convince them that this is the best place to be. And, a lot, you know, obviously the best ones have lots of options out there. Yeah. Um, so it's a competitive thing. Sure. And, and for those that those that are new to you, those that, you know, may have come through a recruiter or um, for your own process somehow, have you got any words of wisdom that you, you, you sort of take in that you've learned over the years of, you know, not necessarily whether it's like a real killer interview question, but things that you look for not necessarily just in the interview process, it's in the interview itself, but the process and, and something, some sort of some indicators that you've sort of seen over time that point to somebody coming on to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So, so you, you look for, um, and I, and look, this, this probably works whether you're hiring an accountant, uh, computer scientist, or a, a salesperson, right? You're looking for uh, a few things that are fundamentals. Uh, intelligence is one. Um, really, really important. Um, intelligence allows you to be, sorry about that, allows you to be creative, 
you know, when you when you're faced with a challenge to think through problems, um, it's it's an important it's a really important thing that you can't fix as a leader, right? Like, if if the person that you hire doesn't have it, there's not much you're gonna you're gonna be able to impart on someone who, you know, just for whatever reason doesn't have quite the candle power necessary to be successful. Uh, work ethic is 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 another one that's high on the list, right? So you talked about this earlier in, in the conversation, right? That that last door that you had to knock on, right? It's easy to say, you know what, I'm going to shut it down for the day. It, it's hard to have that work ethic uh, to go knock on that last door. And it's funny, right? People get it from different places, right? They're, they get it from watching their parents. They get it from from a sibling who, who had a, a phenomenal work ethic. Some people, it's just, it's a, I don't know if it's a DNA thing where they're just, they're just, uh, absolutely focused on, on making that last phone call or that knocking on that last door. So you're really looking to index for folks that have that work ethic. Uh, we talk a lot about coachability, right? So, you know, if you're smart and you work hard, but you don't take feedback, um, it's going to be hard to grow the way that we we need you to grow. So we look at coachability, right? And coachability is something that you can see through the sales or through the recruiting process or the interview process. You can see if someone's taking feedback as they move through the process. Uh, you can look at, at their history, right? If they played a team sport, you know, you know, if someone played a team sport at, at any level of real competition, uh, then any feedback I'm going to give them is going to pale in comparison to, to what their coach gave them, right? And so, you know, they're not going to hang their head and cry on their keyboard. They're going to take it and say, okay, how do I get better, right? And so that ability to take feedback, um, hugely important and, and something that we we try to index for when we're hiring. I could go on, but those are yeah. those are kind of three of the top big ones that I think about. I think the coachability one is, is huge um, because, you know, like you say, you um, especially if you're – it, you know, you, if you're trying to hire, um, you can, you know, coachability almost covers a lot of the other things you're looking for because, you know, if someone hasn't got the experience that you necessarily want them to, but they're very coachable, they can get where you want them to be. Whereas vice versa, if they've got the experience, but they're not going to be able to learn your product or necessarily your approach or that sort of thing, you, it's never going to work. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And look, uh, you know, you want to you want to try to find those folks that are coachable and it, it, it can be frustrating to to uh, watch somebody make the same mistake over and over and they're just not taking the coaching. That's that's a tough thing to watch. Right. So, you, you know, folks that actively seek out, hey, you know, the, the sales calls over. How, how could I have done better? What can we do better? How do we prep better next time? Uh, that's that's really what you're looking for. Yeah. And how do you how do you look for that in the interview process? Well, like I said, there's a couple of things. One is, you know, you look for a background of, of potentially team sports. Right. Because, again, you know, any coaching that I'm going to give is going to pale in comparison to what they got from their, their coach in a, in a competitive environment. Team team is important because it, it's, uh, you know, like. Like if you were a highly competitive swimmer, highly competitive golfer, um, it doesn't mean you're not going to be a really good salesperson. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, you're looking for someone who understands that 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 sales is a team sport and that that being part of a team means that you, you know, you work with other folks in the organization to further the goal of of the team. Uh, and so those folks tend to know how to work uh, in, a, in a team environment. Um and then coachability through the process, right? So uh, if you give someone feedback and say, listen, 
uh, you're gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna present you to the next step in the sales in the in the recruiting process, and I'm gonna introduce you to my manager who's part of the recruiting process. But here are three things that I want you to go read or learn or present, right? And and if they take that coaching and that feedback and they actually go do that, then that's actually a positive sign. So those are some things that you can do to to kind of tease out, right? Is this person coachable or not? I love that. I love that. You you actually reminded me when you're talking there of one of my one of my favorite sayings that I actually I picked this up from one of my SDR managers, but actually I, I don't know whether it's something that I never asked him I should, but whether it's something he coined or whether he's picked up from somewhere else, which was that you want to have a competitive team. You want, you know, you want everyone in your team to be number one in, in, in sales because that's kind of the spirit you need. But what he said, he was actually answering a question in an interview for an AE candidate who asked about our, our culture, what's the sales culture like? And he explained it's very competitive and all the right things you'd want him to say. But then he said this one thing that stuck with me and I've wanted to, I wanted to encapsulate it in every team I've had since, which is that everyone, we, everyone in the team wants to be number one, but they want um, whoever's second place to be just one dollar behind them. And I <laughs> right. love that idea because it, it, you know, especially in, you know, you know, so much of your experience as well, where you're almost category creating or you're, you know, you're, you so much of your success as an individual contributor counts on the success of the other in- individual contributors around you to create those reference customers that flywheel go to market flywheel effect. So yeah, I absolutely um, lo- love that. And I, I should really ask him about whether he came up with it so I can credit him accordingly. That's great. Yeah, I want to be number one. And then I want to, I want number two to be $1 behind me and number three to be $2 behind, right? That's that's great. Um, never thought of it that way. But yeah, that's, you know, that's when you're performing as a leader. You know, I, I think back on the times where you took your whole team to President's Club, right? You know, those are the, those are the fun, the things that you remember. So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. So listen, Travis, this has been incredible fun for me. Thank you so much for giving up your time. I'm really, really excited to get this out. I think I, I think particularly talking about recruiting and hiring is something that, you know, I have this sort of funny feeling around um, elite sales leaders like yourself. You're you know, so often so busy doing that people don't get to, unless they get the pleasure of working with you and your expertise, they don't get to see this stuff. So for me, you giving up a, a, an hour of your time to talk to us today and, and share some of this insight, especially on the recruiting, is, is going to be super, super valuable. So again, thank you so, so much for uh, giving up your time. It's been- awesome, Andy. Thank you. Thanks for thanks for having me and, and good luck. And uh, yeah, I appreciate the, the questions. It was, it was a good use of, of the hour for sure. Hey, so that wraps up episode number three of Masters of Medic. Thank you so much for listening. And if you liked what you heard, then please leave a rating and don't forget to subscribe. 